by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. From the evil one. Let's pray. Lord, we need your deliverance. We know that there is an evil one, Lord. We know that he uh, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Father God, we've come into your house, Lord, to be built up, to see you more clearly for who you are, to have you continue the process of changing and transforming our lives, Lord. Let the scales fall from our eyes that we would be able to see what you see, Lord, that we would be able to understand the world that we live in, the things that we are up against, what we are exposed to, the challenges that come against our families, the challenges that come against our children, Father God. It is not a game that you are playing with us, Lord. And the enemy is no friend of ours, Lord. We need your deliverance, Jesus. You said that when we pray, we should pray, Lord, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us, Lord. We need that continually, Lord. We need that for those who have not come to know who you are yet, Lord God. We pray for them that our lifestyle, the way that we walk with you, the way that you fill us, Lord, would be an influence and an impact upon those who don't know you, Lord God. And we pray that we would remain vigilant in our walk with you and our relationship with you, Lord God that the enemy would not be able to gain a foothold in our lives, Lord. I pray that you would speak to your people here this morning, Lord God, that your word, you say that your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut to the very heart of men and women, Lord. That's what we want this morning, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, that we would hear you loud and clearly, Lord, and that we would respond appropriately, Father God. Let it be your words and not mine. Have your way in this place. We love you and thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 All right. So we are in the, uh, coming to the end, actually, of a series that we've been doing on uh, the invasion is what it's been called. And in weeks one through four, it's been good invasions. We talked about how uh, the Lord will come in and invade our lives in a way that is powerful, in a way that is impactful, in a way that we need him to come in and begin to do things uh, in our lives. In week one, we looked at the invasion of our nation, right? How he comes and changes our worldview. In week two, we saw the invasion of our homes. Let the Lord into your home. Let the Lord into your family. Let the Lord into your, your dinner table. Let the Lord into uh, that place that you think is your sanctuary becomes his sanctuary. In week number three, uh, we looked at the invasion of our personal space and our privacy. Don't, don't come tell me what I can and can't wear. Don't come tell me what my kids can and cannot wear for Halloween. That's my personal space. That's my privacy. When I want to hear from you, Lord, I'll go into your church and then I'll leave when I'm done with what I wanted to take from you. Don't invade my personal space or my privacy. And we talked about when the Lord does begin to do those things, how powerful it really is. There is no such thing as privacy with the Lord. There is no such thing as a relationship with limits when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. It's, it's all in all the time or it's nothing. He doesn't do halfway. Right? And then last week, we saw what I thought was maybe one of the most important messages of the series. We saw the invasion of our hearts and minds. See, We can do all of the physical external stuff where he comes into our home and and he gets close enough to us, but when he really gets into your heart and your mind and you start to want the things he wants, you start to see things the way that he sees them, you start to uh, think the way that he does, like you'll you'll have that kind of, um, those experiences where you say, that's not really how I think, that must be the Lord changing my mind. We saw the scripture where he says, God says, I'll commit myself to you and I'll write my very laws on your heart and on your mind. We begin to find ourselves saying, Where did that come from? I didn't read it. I didn't hear it in a message, but I somehow, I feel it. It's because the Lord says, I'll write it on your hearts and I'll write it on your minds. 
So today, when, when we've, we're, we're ending the series, but we're also transitioning to a new, a new direction and a new focus, where the first four weeks have been about good invasions of the Lord coming in and doing something. Today, we're going to look at an enemy invasion, an enemy invasion that we're calling D-Day because it's about the devil, it's about demons, and it's about death. You know, our, our battle, the, the word said, is not against flesh and blood, right? There is an enemy. Somebody say amen. amen. It would be great if this whole, this whole church thing and Christian thing was like just between us and God and there was no enemy, but that's not a reality. You have an enemy. You have an adversary. There is somebody who is coming after you and coming after your family. So says the scriptures. So enemy invasion, D-Day. I think that many of us are unaware uh, of where and when we're sitting at the table of good and evil, right? Like it was pretty easy to see this morning. There's a table. There's people sitting on the table, but that is the table uh, of good and evil. And how many times in the last week, how many times in the last month have you maybe been sitting at the table of good and evil, but just been completely unaware that that's where you are? Completely unaware that conversations are taking place, that powers and principalities are invading or attempting to evade, trying to attack, trying to either take something from you or give something to you, and you thought, hey, I'm just at Starbucks. I'm just on my lunch break. I'm just hanging out with the family. We're just going to the pumpkin patch. But you're sitting at a table. Many of us have been convinced of some pretty terrible things while sitting at the table of good and evil over the years. We've eaten it up. It's gotten inside of us. We've been convinced that certain things are true that are actually false. Another sad thing is that the enemy has used many of us to harm others while sitting at the table of good and evil. I can look at that, that table, and I can look at the people, and I can look at the experiences, and it's easy now to say, I've got to be aware, and I've got to be on guard, and I can't just be oblivious to where I'm sitting and what's happening. But I remember before knowing the Lord that I was on a certain side of that table, and I was the one regurgitating things that the enemy was telling me to regurgitate. I was the one trying to damage relationships and friendships and families. It's an important table. The issue is ignorance. Many of us have no idea the battle that we're involved in and how strategic these forces are who are battling for your lives. <clears throat> we take casualties in our marriages. We take casualties with our friends. We take casualties with our children. And we're oblivious. And then we look up later on in life and say, where were you, God? <laughs> Why didn't you do something? And he's like, I was at the table trying to help you. You wouldn't listen. I told you not to go there. I told you not to do that. I told you not to answer that text message. I told you not to be on Facebook with that person. I told you not to stay after work with those people. I told you. But you weren't listening to me. Yeah. <clears throat> Ignorance. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 the Lord says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I'm going to say that again. Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know, when we get up here this morning and you see all these folks come up here with their certificate for salvation uh, 101 through 401 and then baptism 101 through 401, it's not just a cool thing to do as a church. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes preparation, it takes Saturdays. It takes a lot to do something like that. And why do we do it? Not so we can take a picture and put it on Facebook, which we're going to do. <laughs> but that's not the goal. The goal is this. If you don't have knowledge, you will perish. You can say, I'm a Christian and I go to church. But however many minutes that is, you do the math. You come in here. By the time the word is preached, you're going to get 20, 25 minutes. And that's your week of knowledge against the adversary that's been around since he was cast out of heaven. And you think that that's going to do it? We don't want people to perish because of lack of knowledge here. We don't want people to come and say, we had a great time and worship was awesome and they did some skit and there was a pumpkin patch outside, but I didn't learn anything. 
There are a lot of people in churches that don't learn anything and then they wonder why they're stolen from. And they wonder why everything falls apart. And they wonder why the marriage isn't strong. And they wonder why when their kids turn 16, they no longer serve God or want to go to church. My people perish for lack of knowledge. So you have two things coupled here. You have ignorance, lack of knowledge, and it's partnered with we are predispositioned to want bad things. The Bible says that we're born into sin, like none of us are special. Because of Adam, all of us are born into sin. All of us, uh, um, it doesn't take long enough to teach them. I have a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a four-year-old. All of them, by the time they were two, were just sinful. <laughs> Lying, taking stuff, being completely disobedient. They see exactly what you said. They know exactly what you want, and it's just, no, I don't care. I'm not going to do that because I was born into sin. And that continues on through the rest of our lives uh, until we allow Jesus to invade and do something about it. But if you put these two things together, having a sinful nature that's drawn to darkness and being ignorant at the same time, that is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> it's a recipe for destruction. It's a deadly combination. Do you know that Halloween in the United States is a $9 billion a year business. Just think about like homelessness, <laughs> hunger, education, all the things that like we get trapped in these governmental conversations about and perspectives on. On Halloween in the United States as a nation, we spend $9 billion. So I'm not gonna say it's not fun to watch the kids dress up, it is. I'm not going to say it's not even fun for some of the adults. I've been watching some of the, the posts on Facebook. It's like, man, it's, it's okay to be an adult and dress up and have a good time and all that kind of stuff, right? However, in my mind and in my heart, it is not okay to pretend as if the enemy doesn't see this as an opportunity to get to unsuspecting people. Does that make sense? Many of us are having a good time. Many of us are saved and dressing up. Many of us are going to walk our kids around the neighborhood, and we're all good with it. But many of us as Christians, we haven't even prayed, Lord, we also know that there's going to be an amazing amount of evil going on. There's going to be people uh, open to things. There's going to be experiences where today's one of those days where it's all right. I never watch any of these movies, but I understand the concept. It's called The Purge, right, where one day a year you get to go out and do whatever you want to do and kill people and all that kind of stuff. Don't watch it. I won't watch it. However, the principle makes sense to me this. People will do things on Halloween weekend that they would not do the rest of the year. People will do things on New Year's Eve that they would not do the rest of the year. People will do things on the 4th of July that they will not do the rest of the year and they feel like it's okay and they know that other people will give them a pass for doing it. So you and I as believers, those who are here in this place this morning, how ignorant do we have to be to say, kids, just go out and have a great time. No need to talk about it. No need to pray about it. No need to just take a little bit of a stance on what we are and aren't going to wear and where we are and aren't going to go. <clears throat> the enemy sees this as, man, this is such a great backdoor opportunity for me to get into somebody's house and invade that otherwise I wouldn't be able to. John 3.19 says this, This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. We sit at the table of good and evil, but we're drawn to certain seats, and we're drawn to certain views, and we're drawn to certain items on the menu. That's what that scripture means says there's light in the world and there's dark in the world and men love darkness. I'm not pointing the, the finger at anybody. For the first 23 years of my life, all I loved was darkness. You come to a table and if this side was dark, I was fighting for a seat on this side. If they pass out two menus, the light menu and the dark menu, give me the dark menu. <laughs> we love the darkness. We're drawn to it. We want those seats. We want to see the world through those dark lenses. We want to see what's on the menu of darkness, what we can taste, what we can try that we haven't tasted and tried before. These aren't my words. These are my experiences. But I guarantee you this. If you will evaluate your life, most of us will say that that was your experience as well. And the word of God holds true. There's light, there's dark, and we love darkness. Let's see if it's any different uh, 
how we got here and, and, and what took place in heaven. In Revelation chapter 12, many of us are scared of Revelation. Gary talked about how long we've been in Matthew. We were in Revelation for a long time too when we did that study. Uh, and many of us left out with less fear than we went into it with. So if you haven't studied or went through or read Revelation, this won't help you not be afraid. But if you have, you'll be all right. So Revelation chapter 12, verse 3 says, Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has placed or where she has a place prepared by God. Then they should fill, feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, he has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, though. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. That's Revelation chapter 12, verse 3 through 12. And it's talking about why we sit at the table we sit at, how we got there, and what's happening around you right here, right now, what's happened to your family in the past, and what's going to continue to happen to them. And we can be ignorant and oblivious, or we can be aware and evaluate for yourself. Does it seem true? It says that the, the devil was cast out of heaven and he took one-third of the host of heaven, one-third of the angels down, they were cast to the earth, and now there's devils and demons running amok here. That's the world I see. That's the world that I lived in. That's the world that when, when you say, listen, I'm a Christian, I just want to love you, I just want to tell you something about Jesus if I can, I just want to see if there's something I could do for you, and for some odd reason, people respond to that with, why are you hating me? <laughs> Why are you pushing that on me? That's the same thing I used to say to people, but it doesn't even make sense unless there's demons, unless there's darkness. <clears throat> what these demons do, what this, this darkness does, what the devil does is they attack our, our lives and our families with no remorse. The Bible says they know they have a limited time. So they're not, they're not waiting for a particular moment, they don't know when their last day is going to be. So if they can get you, they're going to get you now. If they can catch you, how many of us can testify to that? You, you, why is it every time you get into a fight with your spouse, that's when some temptation comes? <laughs> why is it every time that you're, that you're tired, that's when somebody wants to talk to you about something important? had like one of the longest days ever and I was getting messages yesterday and I was getting messages late. I'm like, I'm too tired to handle this appropriately. <laughs> but at the same time, I know that I have an enemy. So I know what the enemy wants to do is say, you're tired. Just say something stupid. <laughs> or just ignore the person. I understand that I have an enemy. I understand that like when me and my wife are so busy and we're like ships crossing in the night, right? Because I'm at work, she's with the kids, we're at church, she's doing worship, I'm doing this. That when we think, man, we're Christians, we're bad about it. This is like who we are and what we do. I'm still aware that the enemy's like, oh yeah, they, they're, they're like ships passing the night. Now's the time. Let's see what's on TV. Now's the time. Let's see who hasn't talked to you in like 10 years and now they want to be friends on Facebook. Now's the time. Is that just coincidence or happenstance or is there... A devil with one-third of the hosts of heaven running around raising hell. Amen. 
Let's look at what that battle might look like um, for you, what it might look like for me, what it looks like now that Jesus has come, um, which is important. In Luke chapter 11, verse 14, it says this about Jesus. This is our faith for, for, for if anybody was wondering. It says, Jesus was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they'll be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus comes into a town. Everybody knows that this dude is demon-possessed. Some people think he's just crazy because that's how we are in our lives, right? We don't ever say, hey, man, that dude's got a demon. That girl's got a demon. Look at it inside of them. Look at it in their eyes. Look at how they talk. Look how they foam at the mouth. I'm not just pointing fingers because that was me. I remember what it was like Amen. to feel possessed, to go off into these crazy stares because I was always high, right? I remember what that was like. We want to be nice and say, oh, they're just tripping or oh, they're just loaded, whatever it is. No, they've let something in that doesn't belong in there. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, I see what that is, and I cast it out. And they say, well, you did that by the devil, the power of the devil. It's his demon, so you're just telling him to get out. Jesus says, how can a house that's divided stand? Why would the devil possess somebody and then unpossess them? That's hurting his kingdom. He says, you guys have no knowledge. You don't understand what's going on. You don't understand what you see. He says, but this, know this. If I am God and if it is the finger of God, God has come into your presence. Now what are you going to do about it? You're going to bow down? You're going to give your life to me? You're going to ask for forgiveness? You're going to repent? Or are you just going to come up with some other reason why you can't follow me? When it comes to being mute, the devil and his demons, I think a couple things they want to do, they want to invade, and they, they want to begin to keep you from letting love in and keep you from letting love out, right? You can't even speak things of love. You can't even speak things of God. It says that he was mute. The Lord's telling us that we've got to choose a side, otherwise the house is divided. We can't have one foot in and one foot out. One of those houses is going to fall. Somebody say amen. amen. It's only a matter of time. I watch a lot of people be one foot in and one foot out with the Lord, and I know it's only a matter of time. One of two things has to happen. You've got to get that other foot with the Lord and then praise God. That's all I'm praying for for everybody. But if you don't, it's only a matter of time before the fall. It might be a year, it might be a couple months, it might be several years, it might be a decade. And it says, but when that house falls, the destruction is crazy. Some point, we got to be all in all the time. Amen. All in all the time. I was at work. It just frustrates me so much when work people are more like committed than church people. It makes me angry. I was in a big meeting. We had everybody. I, I work at LAX um, uh, for Delta Airlines right now, construction project. And we had probably 75 people in a big circle. And we did like that icebreaker thing because new people are coming, new people are going out, or old people are going out. And you know, like the head lady started talking to everybody. And then we went in a circle uh, to introduce. And you know me, I'm just going gonna, gonna to try to shake it up a little bit. When it got to me, everybody, they said, tell us who you are, where you've worked at, where you, where you went to school, you, where you graduated from. And like, so everybody down the line is going through all those typical things that you're going to say. When it got to me, uh, first I made a joke. After I made my joke, I said, I said uh, the most important things about me is that I'm a husband to a wonderful woman named Mary. I'm the father to three children. And I feel blessed to even have a job and to be able to work with all you guys. I'm looking forward to the next five, six years on this project. Right? I was probably about the 10th, 15th person. Didn't tell them where I went to school. Didn't tell them where I got my degree. And didn't tell them where I've worked in the past. Because who cares? Or we just sizing each other up to see who's the smartest. By the time they got to the end, one dude's like, I have two doctorates and I have three masters. I was like, see, I would have lost anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but after I said what I said, it was so interesting that at least four other people 
used the word blessed, which is strange in a, in a, in a professional setting. They actually said blessed, and at least five or six mentioned their spouses, their husband or their wives and their children. Right? It's funny, like, we have power, guys. We have authority to change an atmosphere, change a situation. Back to the whole point. The main lady, she said that she met the guy from the SEAL team that went in to get Osama bin Laden, and he's done some, some speaking in, in different places, and she's hoping that she can get him to come out to, to speak to us. And she said one thing that he says that never leaves her mind is he lives his life all in all the time. He said, it doesn't matter what you do. You can't just be all in when you're going to get Osama bin Laden and then not be all in with your wife. Does that make sense? All in all the time. And as a pastor, I feel like when I said it the first time a few minutes ago, some of you probably like, ugh. You want to be all in with the church all the time? <laughs> like that's, don't pressure me. You're setting the bar too high. Well, that's how the SEAL team feels about it. That's how the director of this Delta Project feels about it. We serve the living God, God Almighty, who came to the earth to die for our sins, and we're offended when somebody says you need to be all in all the time? And then I feel like I'm crazy because I'm the pastor and I just really believe it, and then people look at me like, yeah, you should believe that. You're the pastor. I'm, the, I'm a normal person. Leave me alone. I'll tell you this, though. I have a feeling, according to the word of God, that you're going to be all in all the time with something. At some point, both feet are going to be on one side of that line. Yeah. You're going to be completely on one side of that table. Right. Might want to choose while you have the ability and the power to make the choice what side that is. Yeah. Right. Luke chapter 22, verse 1 says, The feast of unleavened bread drew near. It's called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill Jesus, for they feared the people. Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve, so he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray Jesus to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. After this idea of being mute and not being able to speak for yourself, not being able to choose what side of the table, not being able to let love in or let love out, right? Because the enemy wants to do those things for you. You saw how we were at the table and the enemy was speaking for these people. After that idea of being mute and possessed or, or, or controlled is possession. It says that Satan entered Judas. If you're open, he'll come on in. It's not like if you read the scriptures, Judas didn't say, hey, where's Satan? I want to be a devil worshiper. Come on in. He didn't have to do that. All he had to do was leave the door open and the enemy will invade. You don't have to tell your kids to be bad. You don't have to tell your kids to, to uh, try things out. You don't have to tell your kids to be open to experiences. If you don't close that door, that's going to happen to them. Right. Satan entered Judas, and this time it was about money, like that last group with that job. See, if you see two people sitting at a table and one's like, hey, I got a job opportunity, I got an offer for you, and it's going to pay you way more money. The only thing is, you, you, you know, you're not going to be able to make it to church on Sundays. Most of us wouldn't see that as a big deal. But it's exactly what happened to Judas. You're not going to be able to walk with him anymore, but other than that, you're going to be cool. I know people from the church, personally, that this has happened to them. They had no job when they got saved. God cleaned them up, restored them. They had a terrible relationship when they got saved. God uh, strengthened the relationship. Then they got a job, and God blessed them with that. And then when the job wanted them to be pulled away from church, your salvation is not in the church, but God says, do not forsake the assembly for a reason. When that job began to pull them away from the church, now the relationship is gone. The person ended up being with somebody that they work with at the job that they didn't have before they found God. It's not a game, and it's not a hypothetical thing. I mean, it happens every single day. Why? Because there's somebody trying to invade, Amen. and we're oblivious. First Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It doesn't say love is the root of all evil. Or, excuse me, money is the root of all evil. So if you say that or you've heard that said, that's not what the Scripture says. It says the love of money is a root of all types of evil. Does that make sense? Money is the root of all types of evil means, hey, it's always related to money and every evil that ever exists, somehow you're going to trace it back to a $20 bill. 
That's not what it's saying. It's saying that the love of money is the root of all types of evil, but there's all kinds of other evil. Just the love of money will, will filter down into a whole bunch of different types of evil. Amen. Had another pastor um, recently share with me about, about something that somebody in their church is going through. Same kind of thing. Got a good job, but it caused them to travel and then ended up having multiple affairs. Because you're chasing money. Wouldn't it be better to have like a normal average or even low-paying job, but still have your marriage and your kids? I mean, it, that, that, to me, that's not rocket science. But when the numbers are in front of you, and when you've grown up like many of us, broke, broken homes and literally broke, you see how the enemy can use that? Last week, we talked about the invasion of the heart and mind, and we saw Judas's heart and mind were never committed to Christ. They were never actually invaded by Christ and the things of Christ, which is why when it all came down to the end, his love of money, because he was the treasurer, caused him to betray Christ. And it says that it'll lead to all types of sorrow and even death. He hung himself, a horrific death, with the root of money. John 10.10 says, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The enemy doesn't do anything good. Like, I keep thinking about this table and these people. You know, like, it sounds like he's saying something good, doesn't it? Like, don't you love your kids? Don't you want to be able to buy some? Don't, don't listen to the devil. It's not good. He only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If it's not God and it's the enemy, it's going to end in death. It's going to end in destruction. It might start off tasting good. It says the scriptures say that it'll go down sweet as honey, but when it gets inside of you, it'll turn your stomach. That's how he is. You have to stop before you make decisions and say, Lord, is this coming from you or not? It looks good and it sounds good. If it's from you, then I'm cool with it. If it's not, I know what's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know what's going to happen. The enemy wants to possess you in order to steal, kill, and destroy. The Lord wants to fill you in order to give you life and life more abundantly. You see the difference? Let me possess you and control you, make you do what I want to do, make you say what I want you to say, make you behave the way that I want you to behave so I can bring about death. And God says, I want to fill you with my spirit that you can have life and life more abundantly. I don't want to possess you. I don't want to control you. I don't want to speak for you. I want to fill you with my love and with my presence so that you can have an abundant life that doesn't end in death and destruction. Luke chapter 11, verse 24 says this, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man. Anybody had an unclean spirit go out of you? I've been delivered. I've been delivered from multiple things. And then I still pray like Jesus said, pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, the day I got saved, I got high for every day for at least 11 years. And the day I got saved was the last day I got high. But there are other things that I had to keep going back to the well like, Lord, deliver me. Deliver me again. Please deliver me. Help me, God. Luke eleven twenty four. 24, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest. And finding none, this is talking about the spirit, this unclean spirit, finding no place to rest, he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. You decide you want to stop smoking. You decide you want to stop drinking. You decide you want to stop fornicating. You decide you want to stop being shacked up. You decide you want to stop lying. You decide you want to stop cheating. You decide you want to stop stealing. Whatever it is, you decide you're going to stop that. And to a certain degree, your willpower allows you to do that. It says that that spirit that goes out of you, it's coming back. And just when you feel like you got your life together, just when you feel like you know you're strong, he says, not only am I coming back, I'm bringing seven demons more wicked than myself because now you got it all cleaned up for us. You see why we have to be filled with the Spirit? We just can't be absent of the enemy. You have to be filled with the Spirit, not just absent of the enemy. When I think about what we talked about even with the first couple, uh, or the first group that was up here, with something as simple as Halloween costumes. When I think about it in my mind, I'm like, I wish I would let my kids wear something evil after the Lord done cleaned up this house. 
and got rid of some things in my house and in my children or, or what they could have been exposed to, I wish I would just let them go out wearing anything so that the enemy could come on back in. That don't make sense to me. When the enemy comes back to my house, I want there to be a sign that says, no vacancies. <laughs> All rooms have been filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no room for you here anymore. When you left, we didn't just clean it up and leave it empty so you could come back. We filled it with the Spirit of God. We filled it with the Word of God. When you had me, I was ignorant, but now I study. When you lived here, I was dependent upon you, but now I'm dependent upon the Lord. Last couple of scriptures, and I'm going to release you guys. Colossians 1.13 says this about the Lord. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. We've been delivered from darkness, and then you got put on a conveyor belt that's bringing you into the love of God. Luke 10.17 says, Jesus sent out 70 to do his will, to do ministry. It says, when the 70 returned, they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, man, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Amen. Is that how you walk with God? Why are we constantly so beat up by testing and temptation and these things that come against us? Our intimacy with God, our understanding of his word. We have ignorance. Satan's attacking us and he's like, man, if they only knew the power they had. <laughs> if they only knew the Jesus they say they go to church to visit every week. Because that Jesus says, I saw him cast out of heaven. He ain't as strong as you think he is if I'm on your side. That Jesus says, I've done it with 70, I've done it with hundreds, and I'll do it with you if you let me. I'll give you power over these serpents and over these demons in your life. Or we want to play church. <clears throat> so as we look at this week, look at the end of our series, look at uh, Halloween on Tuesday. I just want us to remember, while harvest festivals are going on, cool costumes, the enemy knows that there's a huge open door into the hearts and minds of unsuspecting people. Let's stand in the gap on their behalf. Let's be praying for them. Let's see this as an opportunity to teach our kids something. Let's see this as an opportunity to, to pray with our kids. Last night, my, my son is uh, um, the Black Panther from Marvel. And so we got him this costume. And last night, he comes up to me, Mom said, I can't wear my mask. And I said, why? And she said, because it's going to scare people or scare the kids, right? And at first I was going to say, boy, I spent $40 on this costume. <laughs> you better wear it all day. You're going to wear it to sleep. <laughs> but right before those words came out of my mouth, I'm like, maybe I should actually talk to my wife to see what she said. Because at the end of the day, it's a good thing. If she's talking to him about possibly scaring other little kids in the church, then like, my $40, I can deal with that. <laughs> Let me go talk to her. And when I went to talk to her, she said, I told him that he couldn't wear it during church and in the sanctuary with the other kids, but he could wear it later on. So I went back to him and said, hey, mom said that you could wear it later on, but it's good. We need to take care of the other little kids. I said, be a leader, son. Right? It's just a simple conversation. But what we're doing is we're filling them with the spirit of God. We're telling them about what matters. You know, we're, we're encouraging them to... Uh, to live in a way that would honor God so that later on when, when he's 16, I ain't going to be talking to him about the Black Panther mask. I'm going to be talking to him about something that somebody offered him at a party. I'm going to be talking to him about this girl that he is really attracted to and likes and what she wants him to do to show how much he likes her. And if I try to start then explaining why God has to be first, why he needs to be filled with the Spirit, why we don't always get to do what we want to do, even if it may not look or feel wrong. If I start when he's 16, good luck! We've got to open our eyes and understand that the Lord says that there's a season for everything. So when you get to Halloween season, know what season it is in the Spirit. And be ready. 
Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what's planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. We are in a time of war and we need to fight against enemy invasion. There's a season to everything. If you think this isn't a time of war, chances are you may already be a POW, prisoner of war. I want to pray that our defenses would be up against the enemy, but that our gates would be open for our ally, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to come in and do work in our lives. I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose any more people that I care about to the enemy just because we're ignorant and unsuspecting. I actually want us to start going into enemy territory and getting those that belong to us and getting those that belong to the Lord. But we cannot do that if we sit on the wrong side of the table. Why don't we stand? Isaiah, would you come? <clears throat> if you just bow your heads with me, we're going to pray. <clears throat> Again, that the Lord would just open our eyes, show us the different tables that we've been sitting at, show us what side we've been sitting on, show us the impact that that has already had in our lives, and simply ask us if we would just cry out, Lord, deliver me from the evil one. Lead me not into temptation. Help me, God. Anything that I've been eating from this table that I shouldn't have been, Lord, would you heal me? Would you reverse this? Would you prepare a table for me? The book of Psalms, chapter 23, the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but if we're with the Lord, we need not fear evil. We go out into this world, and on Halloween weekend, Halloween night, Evil is visual to us. We can actually see the costumes and we can see the blood and we can see the evil. But I'm telling you, church, the evil's out there year round. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We need the Lord. And if you don't have the Lord, I encourage you to fear evil. <laughs> the psalmist says, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Is he with you this morning? You're here in this place. You know better than anybody. We've all raised hands. We've all answered altar calls. We've all uh, told people that we're saved. We've told people that we're Christians. But at the end of the day, you know your own heart. Either he's with you or he's not this morning. In verse 5, he said, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Who has prepared the table that you sit at? At work, when everybody gathers around... Are you sitting at the enemy's table or has the Lord prepared a table for you? In your home, when you get ready to have dinner with your family, is this a table that the Lord has prepared that you sit at? Or has somebody else prepared that table? The psalmist says, you prepare a table before me even in the presence of my enemies. If you have the Lord, it doesn't matter where you are, who you're with, what environment, what day of the week, church night or not a church night, church friends or not church friends. It doesn't matter where you are. If you have the Lord, he will prepare a table for you. And you can eat of that. You can be healed from that. You can be restored from that. You can be strong from what the Lord prepares for you. 
If you're here, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. <clears throat> Between you and the Lord, I just want to ask you, if you've never asked the Lord to come into your heart, these skits, these dramas, these scriptures, they're not just to stir emotion in you. What they're to do is make you think. My people perish for lack of knowledge. Is it true that there's a devil? Is it true that there are demons? Is it true that he came to steal, kill, and destroy? Is it true that if somebody doesn't die for you who was perfect and can pay for your sins, is it true that you're going to have to pay for them one day? If it's true, it's also true what he says when he says, all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. He doesn't say you got to jump through hoops. He doesn't say you have to get perfect before you ask. He just says, call on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. If you're here, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around between you and the Lord. If you want to be saved, you just want to ask Jesus, save me. If you're real, save me. If you're real, forgive me. If I've had something in me that doesn't belong here, Lord, please get it out. If that's you, just raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. Just between you and the Lord, I see you. I see you. Anybody else this morning, I see you. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. Jesus met a woman at the well, and he told her, if you come to me, you'll never thirst again. And she did. Anybody else this morning want to give your life to the Lord? Never thirst again. Amen. I see you back there. I see you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. In a second, I'm going to pray for those that, that, uh, that raised your hands. But before that, you guys can open your eyes now and just look up. I want to pray for those who, who would say that uh, you haven't maybe been quite as vigilant as you need to be. Like, you didn't know what tables you've been sitting at. You haven't maybe been as focused on your, on your kids and the tables that they may be sitting at. Your marriages and your friendships. Is there anybody here this morning that would say that you could be a little bit more vigilant to, uh, to the things that God wants to show you? Anybody? I see a couple. Amen. I'll raise both of mine for that. I get tired and I, and I don't focus on what I should focus on. I get frustrated and I let my emotions run me sometimes. And the enemy sees that and he's like, oh yeah, I've been waiting for you to be emotional. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to be tired. Thank you for leaving that door open. I'm going to pray. Lord, first and foremost, we pray for those that would ask you into their lives this morning. Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit and confirm their salvation, Lord, like you've done time and time again for so many of us. Not because it's what we want, it's because you created us and you know that if we have to believe the words of a man, if we have to believe the words of a woman, if we have to believe just the testimony of others who say they know you, that we'll never have real peace. We'll never have real confidence because it has to be something we know from the inside of us. You say that you stand at the door of our hearts and you knock, and if anybody opens, you say that you and your father will come in and dine with us at our table. You do that through your Holy Spirit, Lord. So those that raise their hand this morning, God, I ask that you would come through that door that they have now opened, Lord, that you would cast out the enemy, that you would clean up that space of their heart, get rid of the old one, get rid of the hard one, Father God, give them a new heart, and that you would write your word, your law, and your love on their heart and upon their mind in a way that is undeniable, Father God, that you would now dwell inside of them, Lord, and that you would just continue, Lord, to fill that space, that when the enemy tries like he is going to, to come back after them, to come back with seven demons worse than himself, Lord God, that there would be a sign on their hearts that say no vacancies. This heart now belongs to the Lord. This mind now belongs to the Lord. This life now belongs to the Lord. There's no room for you any longer in this place, you devil. Give them your word. Give them knowledge, Lord God. Show them how to worship. Show them how to live for you, Lord God. Keep the enemy at bay. Cast him out, God. For the rest of us who would say we need to be more vigilant, Lord, strengthen us. Show us when we're getting tired so we can call out for help from our allies to help defend us, Lord God. Show us when we're getting emotional and overwhelmed. You say that we are but a vapor, Father God, that we are flesh, that we are weak, that we can't protect ourselves even if we wanted to. That's why we need you, Lord. Open our eyes to see our weakness and know that you're strong. Help us, Lord, not to fall victim, even now that we know you. Don't let us be sitting at the wrong table. Don't let us be eating the wrong meals, having the wrong conversations, Lord. Help us to be vigilant. Help us to be strong. Help us to lead our own children. Help us to strengthen our own marriages. 
Help us to be good friends who love the lost, but don't deny the truth about who you are and what you came to do. We love you this morning as we go out, Lord, as our kids have a good time. Let us embrace that and celebrate them. Take pictures and enjoy them, Lord. They're a gift from you, Father God. But let us not be absent when it's time to speak into their lives beyond this day. We love you this morning. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand, church. For those that need uh, a few minutes, you just want to pray. If you have questions or if you want to be prayed with or prayed for, the sanctuary is just going to stay. We'll have a little bit of worship. Everybody else, you are welcome to grab your kids, go outside, have a good time, uh, enjoy the day. Amen. Those who stay, we'll pray with you. All of you. From the grave I've been raised When I needed a savior to save me Jesus, you made a way listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.